With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There are so many labels in grocery stores these days. You might pass the organic apples, then the cage-free eggs, the local honey, then you see grass-fed beef, And you're left wondering, is organic better? Does cage-free make me a better person? And then you see boxes that say non-GMO. How am I supposed to feel about that? GMOs are genetically modified organisms, like corn with genes that have been changed by scientists. These plants might be more pest-resistant or equipped to survive in harsher climates. People have a lot of feelings about GMOs. Many are for them. Many fear them. Since the day GMOs hit the market, there's been controversy about whether they're safe. Say no to GMO! Hell no, GMO! Two million people in 436 cities in 52 countries. Their protest, 100% focused on genetically modified organisms, or GMOs. But in the midst of this debate, there's one person you might know who has come out in favor of GMOs. And it took many by surprise. We have uh, 7.7 billion people. We're going to have 9 billion people. Genetically modified crops have been shown relentlessly to have no harmful effects. That's no other than Bill Nye, the science guy. One thing has led to another. Controversy. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Brands you can trust. Brands you know, stories you don't. I'm Dan Bobkoff. Today, Bill Nye, the GMO guy? Back in 2014, Bill Nye was skeptical of genetically modified foods. So it raised some eyebrows when Bill Nye, the science guy for so many Americans of a certain age, changed his mind abruptly. Abruptly, after visiting Monsanto. Monsanto was the huge biochemical agriculture company. It was a big target of critics before it was recently bought by Bayer. What was it about this trip that changed his mind? And how should we feel about it? What should we do when we go buy a tomato? And later in our customer service segment, why do some people think Vicks VapoRub is a cure-all, even for cars that won't start? Stay with us. If you're a millennial in the United States, chances are you grew up with Bill Nye. Science rules. Billy, he always had his quintessential white lab coat, and he'd always have a very sort of colorful bow tie. And the bow tie always changed between episodes. 
Eileen Woodward covers the environment and climate change here at Business Insider. She also, like me, watched the show as a kid. And each episode was filled with terrible puns and jokes. What's wrong with that? I, I mean, not terrible at all. I giggled. I, my 10-year-old self enjoyed it very much. What has two eyes, scaly skin, and a weird tongue? My Uncle Ernie? No! Definitely he strived to make science colorful and engaging, which I think is sort of what separated him as a public figure later on in his career. So Bill Nye became the public face of science for a generation, especially for those of us who maybe gravitated more toward English class. What Bill Nye told us about science carried a lot of weight, though I have to admit I didn't remember that he's an actual scientist. Before he started his science show, he was a mechanical engineer at Boeing. Really? He got a mechanical engineering degree from Cornell. So he's definitely a scientist. He's not just sort of an entertainment figure. And since his show sort of went off the air at PBS, he's done many other award-winning series. He hosted for the Discovery Channel, the Science Channel. He ended up doing another 13-part series for PBS called The Eyes of Nye. So... Every time he came out sort of with this new iteration of how to talk about science, it it sort of grew with the times. And even though he's still very much active in the entertainment industry, he also grew into sort of a more policy advisor role, I feel, uh, during the Obama administration. He definitely appeared in public with President Obama and helped sort of encourage public discourse about climate change and other things like tsunamis and the nuclear reactor disaster in Fukushima, Japan. So a little less zany, a little less silly, but still America's science guy. Absolutely, for sure. But I think he he definitely adapted with the times. He's also adapted on a controversial issue in science, GMOs. GMO stands for Genetically Modified Organism. And it's basically the result of a laboratory process where scientists can take the genes from the DNA of one species, extract them, and artificially force them into the genes of an unrelated plant or animal species. So the foreign genes can come from bacteria, from viruses, insects, animals, even humans. In this case, we're talking about GMO crops, so more about plants than animals. And to a lot of people, especially non-scientists, that sounded kind of crazy. A few years ago, it sounded a little crazy to Bill Nye, too. I spoke to him about this recently. The idea that you could take a a gene from an Arctic fish and put it in tomatoes, tomatoes, to keep the tomatoes from freezing uh, was a surprising uh, turn of events. And uh, at the time, people uh, were concerned about it. Bill Nye actually even called them Frankenfood. But it's less about creating a hybrid Velociraptor T-Rex mix from Jurassic World and more about sort of Taking desirable genes from one type of plant and inserting them in another in the hopes that you might be able to enable that second plant to survive better in the wild or to have traits that are preferable when it comes to farming. So sometimes when I go to buy food, I'll see a little label on some products that say non-GMO certified. Uh, What are you getting when you buy something that says that or you buy something where it might have GMOs in it? Well, say you pick up an apple that's labeled GMO. It's possible that that apple has been injected with some type of genetic modification that means that it doesn't brown quite as quickly. Or say you buy corn and it's labeled GMO. Perhaps it's been increased with additional amino acids and higher nutrient content that you might otherwise get in normal corn. 
which can be a big deal in places that are food insecure or have limited resources. This is one of the big arguments GMO proponents make, that these genetic changes can help feed the world as the population grows, maybe making crops more resistant to pests or drought or adding nutrition. But critics raise a lot of potential issues, like will it lead to more pesticide use? Will it have harmful effects on the environment down the road? Will it hurt the quality of our soil or pollute our water? If we genetically modify plants, will we be able to control how and where they reproduce? People associate them with an increased use of chemicals that are sort of toxic to the environment and to humans. And in particular, they were controversial for Bill Nye because, again, he made the argument that you could never be sure what the introduction of something foreign and, I suppose, with air quotes, unnatural into the natural world would have on the rest of the ecosystem and the environment. So there are these sort of trickle-down effects that you won't be able to predict if you introduce, say, a disease-resistant, pesticide-resistant wheat into a crop field full of natural wheat, right? I was skeptical of the need to genetically modify I was skeptical of the safety of it, not for the sake of human consumption, but for the sake of the ecosystem. And I've changed my mind about all that. Bill Nye came out with a book in 2014 called Undeniable, Evolution and the Science of Creation. And in it, he has a chapter on GMOs. And his stance then was fairly nuanced. He wasn't saying necessarily that they're bad, just that we don't really know. He calls GMOs genetically modified food in the book. And the chapter title is actually What the GMF. So that's kind of funny if that sort of encapsulates how he feels. Back then, I was thinking, well, since you don't need to do it, we have more food than we need actually in the world. Our problems are distributing the food and preserving the food until it can be distributed, refrigeration. So he thought back then, this is a solution in search of a problem. There are other problems we should worry about. So why bother genetically modifying food when we don't know if there could be unintended consequences? He, I think he definitely took umbrage with the fact that these combinations of genes that never would have successfully crossed in sort of the Darwinian sense are now being manipulated by human breeders. And the other reason Bill and others were concerned about GMOs is because of where many were coming from a company that, until recently, was called Monsanto. Then Bayer bought it, so now it's just called Bayer. People call them big food, sort of like big oil. Big food. So, like, they're a huge company? As in, they sort of have a monopoly over the market of genetically modified crops. Monsanto was, at one time, the biggest creator of genetically modified organisms. In the U.S., most corn and soy is GMO, and about a third of those seeds came from Monsanto, which is one reason why it was such a big target for critics. Monsanto has a very long history, over a century long. And interestingly enough, though their current shtick is for GMOs, they're responsible for things like Agent Orange from the Vietnam War. Agent Orange, the herbicide the U.S. military sprayed from helicopters, injuring hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese. And even AstroTurf. AstroTurf. (laughs) Yeah, AstroTurf. So they're an agriculture company that makes fake grass? Yes. They make fake lots of things. They're even responsible for DDT, that insecticide herbicide that Rachel Carson talked about in the Silent Spring, sort of that very first uh, chemical that propagates through the food chain. Given all that, Bill Nye didn't have the greatest impression of Monsanto. Monsanto used to manufacture Agent Orange. They were a government contractor making this 
stuff intended to win a war, but it caused a lot more problems than it ever solved. And that uh, has tainted the public perception of Monsanto, I think, for decades. They've sort of definitely always held that questionable reputation. But then Bill got an invitation to visit Big Food HQ, Monsanto. What happened when he visits is really what made the big difference in his opinion shift. After the break, Bill goes inside Monsanto and something changes. Stay with us. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back. A few months after Bill Nye published his book, there was this debate. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. And nature has many unknowns, but one certainty is that tomatoes and fish do not have sex with each other. They never have. And yet, one of the On one side of the stage, two GMO critics, one an academic and one from the Union of Concerned Scientists. On the other, a crop researcher and a guy from Monsanto named Robert Fraley. And is this a good thing, this genetic engineering? They hash it out, and about an hour into this thing, the moderator spots somebody in the audience. I can't resist calling on Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> Are you just watching this in the audience? Yeah, I was an audience member because I, I live, I go to New York quite often, and I, those debates are amazing. They're always very well produced, and the host is excellent, and so on. Did anybody notice you in the audience? Oh yeah, 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 sure. And they always let me ask my question. Bill actually takes a little bow from his spot in the crowd before asking his question. <laughs> my question is about time. What is the time scale? So Robert, the guy from Monsanto, sees Bill Nye ask this question, and he gets an idea. He, he took me aside at the intermission, or maybe it was right afterwards. He took me aside. He said, Bill, I dare you. Come to our plant and see what you think. And he invited me to St. Louis, and I paid my way. And this trip to Monsanto is the beginning of a big turning point in Bill's views on GMOs. What were you thinking when you arrived at Monsanto? Sort of put me in that moment. Well, I'm just going to, let's go arms folded. <laughs> like, show me. Like, prove it. You know, uh, the term corporate pig might be in there. 
Like, you know, prove to me that... Well, man, yeah. I mean, these guys made Agent Orange, for crying out loud. What does Monsanto look like when you're walking around? Oh, it's a high-tech. Maybe it looks a little bit like Silicon Valley with a Midwest flavor. And everywhere you go, there's something... They're green plants. They're in every, they're in every cabinet in the middle of the lobby. And then floor after floor, um, stairway after stairway, hallway after all, full of greenhouses. He's impressed by what he sees. Monsanto shows Bill its high-tech watering systems, its studies on various fields, and then he sees its gene sequencing machines. He watches the process, and he's blown away. Wow, you put in a, a kernel of corn, and it sequences the gene very, very fast. And then they hang it up, this long strip, they were showing off. You hang up a long strip of paper and you can compare this sequence to the sequence from this other corn, from this other corn, from this corn over here. This isn't the first time Bill has seen a genome sequenced, but he's never seen a machine do it this fast. As a science nerd, he's wowed. This is Olympic-level gene sequencing. And what's even more impressive than the speed of the machine is what Monsanto can do with the results. It's like designing plants with superpowers. Like there's this tobacco plant he sees that has a special gene, and the plant looks great, super healthy. None of its leaves have been eaten by caterpillars. And then next to it is a tobacco plant that's just, they, I think there's a word skeletonized. Hmm. Just this, the tobacco moth caterpillar has eaten all the leaves, just destroyed them. And uh, I'm not saying the world's all about the economy of tobacco, but these moths are very well known in agriculture because they're kind of pretty and they're huge and they eat tobacco. But that was really compelling. And so a lot of the things that once concerned Bill about GMOs start to fade. I put these concerns to him. I'm just going to rattle off some of the things I read and, you know, um, uh, feel free to debunk me that... um, that GMOs lead to more pesticide use. Is that true? Uh, No, I think they actually lead to less. I think that's exactly wrong. Studies on this actually show no clear answers. It depends on the crop. And how many pesticides and weed killers farmers use on GMO crops can vary tremendously over time. One example, again, was uh, butterflies. People worry about the butterflies. Okay, so here's another. I'm glad you got to this. So this is exactly the kind of thing I was worried about. If you modify the corn so that it uh, can tolerate glyphosate herbicide, a weed killer, um, then you accidentally kill milkweed. And monarch butterflies rely on milkweed. That's their thing. They eat milkweed. If you kill all the milkweed, the monarch butterflies don't have anything to eat. But then it got mixed that the corn itself was killing the butterfly. But that's not right. That's absolutely Mm. not right. It's that you've killed the milkweed with the glyphosate and you're pouring glyphosate all over the field because it works and you have a better corn crop and milkweed gets its name because it's a weed. (laughs) If you're a farmer, you're not crazy about milkweed. Bill says some farmers are now planting little milkweed rest stops, places where the weed can grow and monarchs can eat. That way they can spray their crops and hopefully still protect the butterflies. Monsanto told Bill one more thing about GMOs that convinced him that they're a good thing, something he says that can help feed the world. 
Since the dawn of time, farmers have been selectively breeding their crops. Obviously, farmers want to be growing plants that are the most weed-resistant, that for whatever reason don't get attacked by pests. And so his feeling about GMOs is directly in favor of supporting farmers. Here's Eileen again. The crux of Nye's argument is that we in America are a society of farmers— and for thousands of years, farmers have been doing everything in their power to get the most from their labor, the biggest bang for their buck. And Bill Nye thinks genetically modified crops are the best way forward to do that. And if farmers across the world are all increasing their efficiency with genetically modified seeds and organisms, that's probably the best way to address the hunger crisis. Bill Nye's about face on GMOs made waves. Bill Nye joins his colleague Neil deGrasse Tyson's radio show, Star Talk, for a podcast about GMOs and making his position on GMOs absolutely clear. It had sort of percolated through mainstream media until that point, but that was really when he came out and explained just why. He basically said, the thing is, genetically modified food has no effect on us. That is to say, the difference between it and organically raised food doesn't exist. So why is it such a big deal for Bill Nye to change his point of view on GMOs? Well, Bill Nye is a touchstone for a lot of Americans who are interested in science and believe in what Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson say about important issues of our time. I hate to sort of draw this parallel, but it would almost be as though one day he believes in climate change and perhaps the next day he says, well, maybe there are some doubts involved. So it was definitely a very rapid polarizing paradigm shift because the GMO debate is so salient in America and around the world. The New York Times says roughly 90 percent of scientists say GMOs are safe for humans to eat. Regular people, non-scientists, are still a lot more skeptical. So what do you say to people who are... are um who are suspicious about this change in your views, that see this as it was too fast or you're too close to industry now? Well, I look into it yourself. You know, you try it. I, uh, I still, I'm very, I still don't understand why Monsanto doesn't celebrate their achievements in a positive science is good for you way rather than continuing to have these kooky lawsuits. In one notable case, a California school groundskeeper alleged that the use of the weed killer glyphosate caused his cancer. In March, a jury found that the weed killer was a major factor and awarded him $80 million in damages. Bill Nye didn't know the details of that case, but in his experience, he thinks Monsanto is a net positive. I say to my friends at Monsanto and Pioneer Seed, DuPont, whoever it is, Syngenta, whatever it is, why don't you guys come out saying, hey, proudly modified. This corn is the best corn you've ever had, man. This sweater was made from the best cotton you can get because farmers didn't have to fight bull weevils. Isn't this fabulous? We reached out to Bayer, the company that used to be Monsanto, and they said that a lot of people just don't understand how GMOs actually work. Bayer says it's trying to be more transparent about how GMOs function, and they hope the public will do what Bill Nye did, which is call them up and ask. And Bill Nye himself says he wants all of us to better understand science. He's actually releasing a new podcast soon called Science Rules. He says he'll tackle GMOs in an upcoming episode. Here's Eileen again. As a science journalist, I appreciate that he took the time and the resources and the intellectual effort to 
improve his knowledge base and then use the new facts that he had to change his opinion. Whether or not it's the right or wrong opinion is beside the point. I think the the mental exercise of imbibing new information and using that to make a rational decision and change your opinion is totally valid. And it's something that is, he's setting a good – he's a good role model for folks who are interested in improving their science literacy in the U.S. This is cool, you guys. Get the word out. We're going to change the world, peoples. Science! That's the one and only Bill Nye and Eileen Woodward, environment and climate change reporter here at Business Insider. In a moment, why is Vicks VapoRub such a big deal in Latinx communities? We have answers. That's next. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Thank you for calling customer service, where we answer all your burning questions about brands. This call may be recorded for podcast purposes. Hi, household name customer service. Can I have your name, please? Hi, it's Tasha from Chicago. Hi, Tasha. Wait, is this the Tasha I know from my radio days way back when? Yes, it is, Dan. It's me. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So why are you calling customer service? Well, I um, habitually watch these like comedic videos with my kids, and there's this comedian named Luan James who does this kind of skit about Vapor Rub, Vicks Vapor Rub. All right, let me pull up this video so I know exactly what you're talking about. His mother is coming at him saying, just stay still. Your grandmother and your grandmother's grandmother has used this stuff, Vicks Vapor Rub, for years and years and years. Let me put it on you. And he's like, Mom, calm down, calm down. No, no, no. He has another one with his dad in the kitchen, and he's complaining about a headache, and his dad's like, you need Vicks VapoRub. Why do you think I stay so young? And I'm just kind of curious, like, what's up with that? Why, why do people think that it's, like, this cure-all? How did, how did the um, Latinx like, community adopt this medicinal menthol VapoRub, and, like, why is it a big deal, and, and how did it get that way? So I have to admit, I've never actually used Vicks VapoRub. I'm not even totally sure, like, what it is and what it's for. It's almost effervescent, if you will. It's, it, it takes up a room. Like, 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 if you put it on and someone entered the room, they would know immediately that you have been flathering yourself with Vicks VapoRub. Yeah, and it comes in this really distinctive blue jar. I have seen that, at least. 
Well, as always, I don't have the answer, but I'm going to find somebody who does. So can you stay on the line for a moment? Sure. All right, so I found just the person who can answer this for you, Tasha. Her name is Angeli Mercado. She's a freelance producer and writer who knows a lot about this, and she's going to walk us through it. Hi, Tasha. Hi. I have some answers for you. So Vicks Vape Rub, it has a lot of names, and a lot of that comes from the fact that some immigrant Latinx parents cannot pronounce Vicks Vape Rub, so it becomes Vaporu, Bivaporu, Emmental, or El Vix. El Vix. I like that one. The thing is, Latinx communities have done this for a long time. We kind of take a brand or a name of something and then see how we can actually pronounce it. For example, one thing that's been memed a hundred times over on the internet is how we say cereal. The official word in Spanish that everyone knows is cereal. But when it comes down to cereal and cereal shopping, parents will say confle, and that comes from the word cornflakes. <laughs> And so the brand kind of becomes the name for the whole thing. The same thing happened to Vicks Vaporub. And now for a lot of people, including me, it's just Viva Poru. Memes of Viva Poru have become really popular on places like, say, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you can upload a video. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. It says Vicks, but my grandma calls it Vaporu. And one video is called Signs You Grew Up With a Latina Mom. Mommy, I got dandruff. Viva Puru. The mom also recommends Viva Puru for the randomest things like cramps. And there's videos of people rubbing it on their cars to make the car start in the morning. Did that work? I mean, I hope so. He had to get to work. <laughs> and there's even photos of people gifting their grandparents these huge blue Viva Puru cakes for their birthdays. There's tutorials about rubbing it around your eyes to make yourself what? cry because rumor has it Telomeno stars, who are very dramatic and cry every five seconds, rub this around their eyes to make themselves cry on screen. Oh, gee. But, like, don't do that. Doctors are very adamant, like, do not do not do that. Even Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton, who has so much money, is using Vicks Vaporub as a home remedy. Back in January, he had a tweet about Vicks Vaporub go viral, and he wrote, I knew I couldn't get through the nine-week show without peak Puerto Rican remedies, and that got 26,000 likes and over 900 retweets. So uh, people relate to this. Yeah, it is close to our hearts. Especially if you put it on your heart. It works, apparently. <laughs> and then there's also, like, really cool Viva Puru merch that I've noticed a lot on Instagram. Have you bought some? I really want to. There's this pin that says Sana Sana, and a lot of kids growing up in Latinx communities, if you fell or got a bruise, your parent or caretaker would rub the bruise and say Sana Sana, colita de jarana. Like, what heel, does that mean? Heel, heel, tail of a frog. Oh, I didn't know that one. Yeah, and there's like little enamel pins that say Sana Sana, and it's obviously a Vicks Vapor Up jar. And there's these like get well cards that have like a bowl of some sort of Latin American soup, like Sancocho or Asopao. And it's it, the image is, of the soup is next to a little jar of Vicks Vapor Up, and the card's like get well. I want one of those. Yeah. <laughs> On YouTube, there's this creator named Jenny Lorenzo, aka Yeni, yep, and she I does a lot her. of Viva Puro inspired content on her page. She does a lot of really hilarious Latinx-inspired comedy. Her videos about Bibapuru kind of exploded. She also did a popular series of videos called Spanglish with Yeni. Spanglish con Yeni! Yeah! She kind of explains the whole 
mishmash of Spanish and English words like gonfle and vivaporu. My dad and I went into Eckerd Drugs before it was CVS Pharmacy. <laughs> oh my god, TBT. And he kindly asked the woman at the front for some vivaporu. And she shot him this look. And that's basically the same look that he got from every sales associate in the store because they had no idea what this magical Viva Porru even was. Right after that, you saw a lot of other content creators online using that as a joke, using that in merch. So, all right, so this is a huge deal, obviously. It's a huge cultural, it's a huge part of life. How did this particular product become such a big deal in Latinx communities? Vicks VapeRub has actually been a favorite home remedy across cultures for over a century. It was actually created in the 1890s by pharmacists in Greensboro, North Carolina. So it's American. Yeah, it's actually American. So years before we were using it for bad credit and broken hearts, it was for colds. <laughs> which, is, which is, we should say, what it is intended for. Yeah, but now it's evolved to so much more. <laughs> it's reached its full potential. It was created by a pharmacist in North Carolina, and his name was Lunsford Richardson. Lunsford. I like that. It's like an awesome name for someone who invented something. He was actually inspired by the French pharmacist who created Ben Gay. What's his name? Dr. Ben Gay. Who would have guessed? I know, right? <laughs> ben Gay is a topical heat rub for muscle pain, and it has menthol in it, which comes from a mint leaf. has a very strong smell, very distinctive. And so Dr. Richardson's patients, they told him they were using that to clear their sinuses, so he actually decided to make his own menthol rub after that. And his was a combination of just menthol and petroleum jelly. At the time, using menthol for ailments wasn't that common in the U.S. But then something big happened that was about to change all of that. What happened? The flu. Who got the flu? Everyone. In 1918, there was a huge flu epidemic happening worldwide. And at this point, VIX had been around for, say, 30 years. People were familiar with it, and then they started using it a lot to treat their symptoms when it came to the flu. And so VIX starts to become a household name. So bad for everyone, but good for VIX. Just for VIX. It was a flu. It sucked. This was a worldwide epidemic, so VIX wasn't just becoming popular throughout the United States. It was starting to become popular in other countries as well. Phil McWaters is the brand franchise director for VIX at Procter & Gamble. They now own the brand. Phil said the brand grew so much during the flu epidemic in the United States that they finally had the money to start marketing globally. Really, the first time that they expanded into Mexico was around uh, 1923. There was a salesman named Hugh McKay, and he went to Mexico to market VIX, and he did it through different ways by building relationships with the businesses that he hoped would sell the product. And what they did was really kind of old-fashioned brand building. They sent somebody down there to build relationships with key distributors in the local market, work on uh, local advertising. He was the menthol man. Actually like that, yeah, menthol man. You're welcome. A hundred years later. <laughs> And so VIX was marketed to physicians, and once those nurses and those doctors became familiar with it, they started telling their patients about it. They became strong recommenders of the brand. So as more and more people used it in Mexico, the more popular it became. It went viral for the first time. But like in real life, not just like on the Twitters and the things. <laughs> but VIX didn't just market in Mexico. It marketed products in other parts of Latin America. VIX is clearly a global brand. And the company did a lot of targeted marketing to make it there. But there are actually a lot of other reasons why Viva Poru is really popular for Latinx communities. 
<laughs> I remember one time when I was in high school, like I broke up with a boy, and my mom said, you got to put a little bit on your heart so it could like help the pain. That's Estefanie. She identifies as Afro-Latinx and co-hosts the podcast Bag Ladies with her friend Lena. She uses Vivapuru for things like back pain and bruises. And I know that's not what that's for, but it kind of, I don't know, I feel like it worked. Estefanie thinks that there are other reasons why a lot of Latinx people really like Vivapuru, and it's kind of sad, but a lot of us don't always have access to healthcare. She comes from a Dominican family. A lot of people didn't really have full-time jobs in the aspect of, like, you getting benefits, right? You couldn't just go to the doctor whenever, right? Stephanie also says that some people in Latinx communities don't have a lot of trust in the healthcare system. There's kind of, like, a low-key distrust in the healthcare, too, you know, especially with, like, any, like, marginalized group, especially in America. Like, you know, the sterilization in Puerto Rico, right? Like, we think about stories like that, you know? So I kind of feel like, you know, Latinx folks... Dominican folks, you know, you was going to the doctors to things that you know needed to be fixed, right? So if you broke your arm, you know you needed to go to the doctor, right? You broke a leg, you're having a heart attack, you're like, damn, I need to go. So everything else, you know, if we can fix it, we can fix it, you know? Like, we have always been surviving on things like this. Like, we have always been okay. I also come from a family where healthcare wasn't always a thing. I've definitely had had to rely on home remedies, some that taste better than others. But one thing that was always adjacent to that was bivaporu. I would always have an auntie or my mom or my dad just rubbing it all over my face. So when you don't have money for the doctor, you maybe have $5 for Vivaporu. So Vivaporu has been a product that kind of symbolizes self-reliance for Latinx communities. And it also symbolizes how we like to take care of one another. What does it smell like exactly? Oh, it smells like being in the seventh grade and having a really bad cold. (laughs) According to a lot of researchers and neurologists... Smell actually plays a very big role in our memories, especially if those memories are emotional. We don't just associate Vivapuru with, like, being sick. It's more like we associate with how we were taken care of when we were sick. And so when a lot of Latinx parents and caretakers just rub it all over themselves and their kids and you get a whiff of it, it kind of becomes a soundtrack of all our lives collectively, but with smell. That iconic smell is kind of like when the DJ plays suavemente at the wedding baptism quinceañera barbecue and everyone just swarms the dance floor. And within a lot of Latinx communities, just like a lot of other cultures around the world, you just kind of have to respect people that are older than you. There are even sayings in Spanish that are about, if you listen to people older than you, you'll have a very long life. And just, you're constantly encouraged all the time to listen to advice from people older than you. So if they trust a thing or a product, you just have to learn to trust it as well because they trust it. Even if you might make some memes about it. Yeah, I think they love that though. Like, my parents love that. They think it's great. Add the Spanglish with the obsession, the family, and then mix in a healthy dose of bilingual content creators, and you get a meme. And then you get a household name. Angeli Mercado, thank you so much. Thank you for having me explain the soundtrack of my life. Tasha, are you satisfied with your customer service today? I'm 100% satisfied. Wow, you should fill out a a, a short survey after this call. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Check out Bill Nye's new podcast. It's called Science Rules. It's coming very soon. You can check out a trailer on Stitcher or wherever you listen. Remember, you can always email us at householdname at insider.com. We love hearing from you. It's a great place to send some of your customer service questions. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bobkoff or join our Facebook group. Just search for Household Name Podcast. 
This episode was produced by Amy Padula with Angeli Mercado, Jennifer Siegel, Claire Tai, Sarah Wyman, and me. Special thanks to Kara Chin. Our scripts are edited by Gianna Palmer. Sound design and original music by Casey Holford and John Delore. The executive producers are Chris Bannon and me. Household Name is a production of Insider Audio. Stitcher.